Welcome to Raiders of the Lost Podcast, the ultimate film and TV podcast. We are your hosts, James and Anthony. Let's talk about the greatest film trilogies of all time. Hello, movie friends. Welcome back to the show. James and I put together this epic list of the greatest trilogies of all time. There are a lot of terrific trilogies. There's a lot of just trilogies in general, top tier, mid tier, high and lower tier. There's a, uh, you can there's a spectrum. Yeah, there's a spectrum. There's a spectrum. But there's definitely the quintessential best of all time. And we think this list is like pretty accurate. Also, it touches both big franchises and small independent films as well as international films. So I think that um, if you haven't seen these some of these films, they might be right up your alley. And we're going to open up talking about franchises and trilogies that used to be trilogies they once and were. used to be iconic. But because like a fourth and maybe a fifth film were made... The trilogy is no longer. I mean, even I think one of them on the list we had to eliminate because it doesn't fit this rule because yeah. the Matrix trilogy is no longer a trilogy. Oh, yeah. I forgot I put that on the list. But it's okay. We can still talk about them because they were once upon a time trilogies. Yeah. You know, and the list, the, the, the most popular ones I can think of are Indiana Jones used to be an incredible trilogy. Yeah. And these are these were trilogies for several years. It was just a trilogy. Indiana Jones, obviously, with Last Crusade. It was, I think, almost 20 years until Kingdom of Crystal Skull. I think it was like 18, 17 years separated the fourth and the third. So for a long time, it was always considered a monumental trilogy. The Bourne trilogy was uh, one of the me. best trilogies of all time. Top five, I for think, sure. Because it's, it's Bats a Thousand. They're all, the, all three of those films are really great. They're all terrific in their own unique ways. Uh, Matt Damon, I think, is like the quintessential spy Outside of James Bond, like James Jason Bourne coming out of nowhere with the Robert Ludlum no novels, just like becoming just as memorable as Bond it was just something special. And uh, we love those films. We get to review them. Soon. My God, we got to review it's Jason them Bourne. Soon. So Bourne Identity, Bourne Jesus Supremacy, Christ. and then Bourne Ultimatum. Those three movies are incredible. Which is your favorite? It's hard to pick. It's it's tough. I mean, I love the first one so much, yeah. but I think what Paul Greengrass did with the second two was really incredible. It took them to a new level. The the first one may be the best like concept and best script but i think supremacy is excellent so is an ultimatum that's the thing it's hard to pick because they're all equally yeah. as good and doug lyman made the first film and the, the second two have obviously have better action but the first one is just really great like it has an amazing first act especially when you're watching it for the first time and you're, you're like there with this amnesia ridden guy like trying to figure things out with him it's really i remember seeing it as as a kid with dad in the theaters and like being absolutely blown away by it. It will come back. It will come back. <laughs> and then, unfortunately, they tried to franchise it with Born Legacy with Jeremy Renner, no, which isn't the yeah, fourth yeah. sequel. Hey, no. Let me finish the sentence. And then they made Jason Bourne, what, five years ago, six years ago? Yeah. A very unnecessary sequel. They even got Paul Greengrass to come back. It just wasn't even close to as good. We had, who was the villain? Vincent Castle was the... Yeah. in um another old white dude. Another old white... <laughs> another old white dude. It was... um. It, was it the? It's the guy from Training Day, the snail story. Okay, the snail story guy. Yeah, you're right. So it just wasn't the same, and it really kind of took away the tr from the trilogy for me. And it made the trilogy no longer a trilogy, even though yeah. it, was, it was a trilogy. It's no longer technically a trilogy. I wish they didn't do it because, and I mean, I was I I was glad when they announced it and that Greengrass was back. But then they just basically did the same thing, copy and paste in a lot of the ways. And 
I wanted something different. If it's going to be 10 years since the last one, let's just like really mix it up. And they just kind of went with the same. And I, I think it would have been cooler maybe to switch up the franchise being like, or if he's working for some capacity, like helping the government out as opposed to constantly being hunted. Like they could have been working together to stop something. Thank yeah. God they didn't do a Jason Bourne origins. origins. Where did he, where did he get his training? What happened? <laughs> <laughs> where did that stone start? You know, you know, they tried. They probably wrote a bad script. Uh, another trilogy that is no longer a trilogy. You could say Mad Max. So it was a trilogy. And then you could say Mad Max Fury Road. Would you call that a sequel or just kind of a readaptation? It's of, a sequel. Yeah. It's a sequel. hundred percent. It's, um, it's just made, Later, you know, 25 years after mm -hmm. the fact. And ironically, uh, it's the only one on this list that we're listing off right now where it is the best film of the franchise, Mad Max Fury Road, improved upon the other three films in every way. Uh, also because he got a great budget and had a terrific crew and cast with him. Um, and Tom Hardy did a good job filling in the shoes of, of Mel Gibson, but it wasn't a, re it wasn't a remake, remake, it wasn't a spinoff. It was an actual sequel mm -hmm. as George Miller wrote it. Very cool. Then we have Toy Story, one of the greatest animated franchises of all time, if not the greatest animated franchise of all time, was Once Upon a Time, a ter terrific trilogy. And you could argue Toy Story 4 could be the best of them all. It's such such a really well-made movie in terms of animation and the advancements that were made. But, I mean, I don't think anything will ever top the first one for me personally. But the fourth one is just as good as every other one. It's really great. Uh, I think number two is the weakest of all four. I agree. And number three and four are amazing. They're really, and I remember, I was weeping at the end of four. I was weeping, and and the animation is really remarkable, especially how they started implementing actual camera lenses into the cinematography of the animations, and, and the surfaces looked so real. It was uncanny, and it was just like transported me into the Toy Story that I had never been to, transported like that in a Toy Story film or like most animated films before, and it was I thought it was a sensational, but it was. Uh, it was pretty far after, pretty long after the third one. I don't, I didn't think they ever expected to make a fourth one. I think maybe eventually they planned on it, but I think once Disney bought it, they were like, "Hey, want to kick a fourth one out? <laughs> you know, what do you guys think? Want to do a, a new fourth one? Want a billion bucks?" <laughs> Disney's always trying to. <laughs> Next up, we have the Pirates of the Caribbean, the Pirates of the Caribbean, which was again once a tremendous trilogy. I like all three of those movies. Yeah, they and are then it good, got man. then it turned into now there's four of them technically with five five with Johnny Depp, with Johnny and Depp, then yeah. the Untitled Six film if they ever make it. So we had Curse of the Black Pearl, the first one, two thousand three, best one, such a good movie. Yeah. Then uh, they don't make Disney movies like that anymore, man. Then we have Dead Man's Chest in 2006, and then at World's End in 2007, which was kind of a trilogy. And then On Stranger Tides in 2011, and then Dead Men Tell No Lies in 2017 was the last one that they made. The other two were, they're, they're pretty good. And, you know, you have great filmmaking and huge production value and Johnny obviously returning. Uh, but the first three, I think, are really special. Gore Verbinski was the director of all three of those. That's why... They feel different. He's an amazing director. Rob Marshall made the fourth one. I can't remember who made the fifth one. It was this pair of filmmakers. Uh, Joaquin Running and Espen Sandberg. Okay, thank you. Yeah, and they did a, they did a very good job. But like, it's just it never the, all, those two never really captured uh, the magic of the first three, which was just so so incredible. That cast and that trio was just remarkable together. And, and the the first Pirates movie is one of my favorite adventure films of all time. I think outside of Indiana Jones, it's it's top of the list of adventure movies. It's the closest thing we've yeah. gotten to in Indiana Jones this century for sure. Yeah. And I mean, 
at World's End, we talked about this when we did our trilogy. It was a great episode, yeah. The Pirates of the, Car- of the Caribbean trilogy. We just like we didn't consider the other two part of it. Um, <laughs> that that movie at World's End kind of laid the framework for how like the MC would do like their structure for their oh, huge, yeah. huge multi-character team-up movies in terms of how to structure the storyline and stuff like that around so many different moving moving plots because they really nailed it in that movie at World's it, End. It became an ensemble by the end of that film for sure. And then we have. Die Hard, which at one time was a great trilogy, even though the second one's not tremendous. The first one is one of the best movies of all time. I'll always say that. One of the best action movies, let alone the best movies of all time. Die Hard with a Vengeance is also excellent, the third film. It's so good. I love it. It's then, really amazing. And then they did... Go ahead. Talk about how it's amazing, Anthony. Well, you got Sam Jackson with Bruce Willis. Are you kidding me? The dynamic was amazing. Then Jeremy Irons coming in as Hans' brother was just terrific. Go ahead. Say your Hans voice. Uh, which one? Oh, Hans. Hans! Hans! <laughs> <laughs> but it's also a really good script. It's a very thrilling, very mysterious. Got It has great twists. And it got really epic in scale. I, I mean, we're all across New York City in these huge sets. And I think it was smart as as opposed to going with... Obviously, it works so well in the first film, just in Nakatomi Plaza. Second film, the airport. Okay. But then the third one... Let's just do all of New York City. It was amazing. I think the Die Hard Airport video game is better than the movie. <laughs> it's a good, it's a good it's movie. Fine. It's fine. It has its moments, but, but it's the not. The thing with yeah. Die Hard with a Vengeance, that originally was not a Die Hard movie. We talked about it in our Simon Die Hard episodes. Says. It was a, originally just a spec script called Simon Says that they were like, how about we turn it into a Die Hard movie? And mm-hmm. I think that's why it's so good. But then they made two more. 2007, they had Live Free or Die Hard, which was okay. I actually like okay. Live Free or Die Hard. I think it's the third best. The third, oh, okay. And I, then it's actually very enjoyable. And then in 2013, we had a good day to die hard. This one, not so much. Yeah. <laughs> this is the Russia one. Is that one. the one with the jet? Yeah. No, no. The jet one's live for your die hard. Okay. With Timothy Elephant is the villain. Gotcha. And then the fifth one is in Russia, and they're trying to stop a nuclear strike. Nice. So it got a little too big. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> and the fifth one's with his son. Justin Long is in the fourth one. He's great comedic relief opposite Bruce Willis. It's terrific. Just to remain uh, or keep our continuity of the rules of this episode, if a fourth film has been made, it is no longer a trilogy. And unfortunately, The Matrix is no longer a trilogy because they just had to they just had to make (laughs) this fourth film. They really couldn't. They, they, wh- and, why? And, and man, the Matrix trilogy is one of the best trilogies of all time because of just one movie, not because of the others, but because yeah. of just one movie. I can't think of another trilogy that is like that. You could say The Godfather because of two movies, yeah. But the Matrix trilogy, the other two are not that strong of films for most people and critically. But the first one's that such a get- goddamn good movie and such a perfect movie that the trilogy is one of the best of all time. And you know, it's been a while since uh, Resurrections came out, so I think it's safe to say I it was actually my least favorite film that year, last year was Matrix Resurrections. I was very disappointed. It was the to be le- honest, my least yeah. favorite film that I saw. It was just n- it, n- in no way, shape, or form did I find any of it very good at all. And it was just so disappointing and underwhelming. And I was just like puzzled the whole time watching it. Like, really? Really? Well, the cool thing was because we saw The Matrix at IMAX the week before because they did that special re-release before (laughs) the new movie came out. And that was seeing it like in the big screen at IMAX for the 40th time. But for the first time in theaters since we were kids, it was incredible. It still holds up. It's still one one of the best movies of all time and still probably my favorite movie of all time. And then a week later, we saw Resurrections, <laughs> and we were very excited about it. And because you all, I know, was optimistic. You all know how much we love the Matrix, and I was trying to stay optimistic. And I was like, I'm looking forward to it. I cannot wait. Yeah. I think you know the Wachowskis did something incredible with the first one in the trilogy. But man, it just was a huge miss. It's really unfortunate. It was a weird movie. I think they took away a lot of 
I think it actually hurt the trilogy for sure. It's one, oh, of, those, it's one of those movies that yeah. takes away from the trilogy, takes away from like the legendary, the status of the film throughout history. It's, it, it, this is marred by it. And the archetype of the one and yeah. Neo, it was damaged for sure because of what of the new film. And then just, I know what they were trying to do and just a new meta take and trying to be fun with it and, <laughs> and remix it and everything like that. But plus you don't have Lawrence Fishburne back as Morpheus at all. And that the, was a and, huge weakness and too. And the fight sequences were not very; they were not well choreographed. They did not look uh, very fast. They did not look good compared to the original yeah. trilogy, which set the bar for yeah. action movies. They changed the game. Yeah, and then Res- and then Resurrections just kind of was like, was I just there, to ca- make some money. There was a fight sequence happening, and I like looked to you. I was and I was like, what? Really? It's really disappointing. Is this happening because of how? What, because of what they achieved. It, the Matrix is one of my favorite movies. I think it's one of the best movies ever made. So uh, it was just disappointing. Oh, now, yeah. let's, let's go get, back let's to the trilogy. intact trilogies, <laughs> which have not technically all of them. None of them have sequels technically except for, you know, the Star Wars trilogy. We can still consider the first trilogy. The, the three trilogies, trilogy, yeah. even though they're technically sequels, but it still is kind of intact in my book. We're going to throw a Star Wars trilogy in terms in of being list. a trilogy. Yeah. Uh, because there's 17 Star Wars movies. Like, what are you going to do about it? Now, and this list is kind of in order of our favorite to least favorite. And I would say so, yeah. And it's not to knock anything that comes later. But, like, I mean, this is just our taste. And we think it's pretty good. Yeah, I think I feel good it's about it. It's pretty good, I man. Think, I feel good about it. I think it. it's pretty good. So, want to start us off with the uh, the greatest trilogy of all time? This is a no-brainer. I think everyone's It has to be the top of every single list of trilogies in film. It's the Lord of the Rings trilogy by Peter Jackson with The Fellowship of the Ring, The Two Towers, and The Return of the King. All perfect, immaculate movies. They are some of the most loved films in the history of cinema on, critically, audience scores everywhere on every website, IMDb, Rotten Tomatoes. They are, all three are in the top 20 on IMDb I think top 25, yeah. Two Towers is yeah. I think two are in the top 10 maybe, or at least one of them is for sure. You know, they're all perfect movies. They're all unique, but they all tell... One of the most incredible stories of all time in the last two centuries, for sure. One of the greatest pieces of fantasy fiction, arguably the greatest piece of fantasy fiction from J.R.R. Tolkien. We've talked about this franchise so many goddamn times. Not enough, in my opinion. Um, it's been a while. It's been a, it's been a bit, and we adore these films. Some of our most watched movies of all time. Some of our favorite movie theater experiences as kids were going to see Fellowship of the Ring. Like, what the hell is this? We saw we the were posters spoiled. as kids. Yeah. We were just like, got entered into this brand new world in addition to like having other great franchises like Harry Potter around how, us. How, how lucky were we to grow up with Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings, The Matrix? Early 2000s, man. We the were, first Spider-Man. Yeah. Like, it was lit. We man. had some it great movies. Lit. The Bournes. Some great franchises yeah. were being built around I, I still think the two, early 2000s is the best time for franchise movies. It might have been. Because it wasn't really taken over by the corporate control yet. Not like yet. It has yeah. been like the last several years. It was still studios. Com- the studios were competing with studios. And now it's corporations competing with corporations. Because exactly. they're all owned by giant corporations. All mega corporations. <laughs> There's like two corporations that own everything now. <laughs> In the film industry. It's AT&D versus Disney. That's it. <laughs> but, you know, these will never be recreated. Never will we have a film franchise or even movies that will be made like this in terms of the the scope, the size, the filmmaking, filming all three back to back to back in New Zealand. So many practical sets and just excellent use of CGI, pioneering visual effects when it comes to mocap with Gollum and what they did with Imaginarium in the in the the studios they had. Uh, what was the other one called? I can't remember. But that Peter Jackson sold for like $4 billion, the other one. <laughs> Weta, Weta, Weta Digital. What Weta did as well. So it, it's really untouchable and we'll never, we'll, these will, we, we have to cherish these forever because they are, Monumental movies. 
it's really in as time goes by and as the years pass on and I revisit these films, I just could I hold them closer and dearer to my heart. And just like you said, they will never be replicated again. The movies, these movies will never be. They'll be made again eventually, but not like this. And there will never be movies made like this again. They're special. They really are. And there isn't a weak link amongst them. There's just which ones you prefer over the other. And, I mean, every single one of them is absolutely immaculate. Hundred, Like, everything that Peter Jackson did, every choice he made as a director, was perfect. All of the actors were perfectly cast. And it really is just like a, a magical... Uh, piece of filmmaking in an, an, just an astounding achievement that Peter Jackson underwent and accomplished filming them all just basically as one movie. It is one of the greatest um, accomplishments by a film director ever and will go down as one of the greatest at, in throughout history. When you look at franchises and trilogies, I would say when it comes to the artists and how much passion was put into a project, it's like between Star Wars, the original trilogy, and Lord of the Rings, the trilogy, in terms of how much love and passion and work was put into these projects for years and years and creative visions. But the passion, you see it every time. And like, and I agree. Every time I revisit these movies, I love them even more yeah. and more than the year before. And we do revisit them every year. Yeah, I, I every time I watch them, I'm like, man, it's fucking great. <laughs> as soon as it starts, man. As soon as it starts. I listen to the music all the time. It's just, oh, man. I, I just love them. I really do. They're, oh, boy, And I'm yeah. so glad that... <laughs> oh, boy, yeah. Oh, boy, yeah. <laughs> That's on here. Don't worry. The Yeah, Howard Shore. It's incredible. Yeah. They're they're magical. They are literally... It's magic. Yeah. The Lord of the Rings trilogy. And I, in Howard Shore, he's, he's a great composer. He's not, like, the greatest of all time. He's up there, but like I think this could be the greatest music ever made for films. The best fit of all time yeah. for a composer, the I themes, think, to anything. The, the themes and then the, the sounds he created and the chorus work. and Just what he did with the Shire. Work. Yeah. It's, it's incredible. It's really remarkable. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply music made for the film and i don't think it's i don't think it's ever going to be topped how about uh we move on to the next trilogy anthony light it up light it up <laughs> where were the other drugs going <laughs> rachel where's rachel, rachel! <laughs> swear to me swear to me do i look like a cop <laughs> my, oh man my throat is hurt yeah, I do that too much. <laughs> the dark knight trilogy you guys know we are huge super fans of both nolan and christian bale's batman films and i know it's some people are gonna get upset that we have Star. This is before Star Wars, so I'm just apologizing. Oh, but this is no, our yeah. this is our preferences. I think all three of these movies are really incredible. Uh, they were very important for me growing up and falling in love with movies and trying to become a vigilante. <laughs> vigilante. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't uh, work out. <laughs> he, only, he only had two hundred dollars to do it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm also only five ten, so <laughs> only so much I can do. Um, <laughs> But Batman Begins might be my most watched movie. It's up there. Batman Begins, Jaws, The Matrix. Definitely, those, I think those it's three. my number one. I think it's my number one. Um, it's the most music I've listened to for anything. The Hans Zimmer scores for these and James Newton Howard. And but I, I just love what Nolan did because uh, we grew up with Blade. We grew up with Spider Man. 
we grew up with the animated series for some of the superheroes. Um, but then when we watched Batman Begins, we were like, this is different. And then when Dark Knight came out, it was just like, I've never seen a movie like that before. Cultural phenomenon. Yeah. Because, I mean, Batman Begins, people liked it, but it only made a quarter of a billion. But yeah. the Dark Knight, as soon as the t- trailer started coming out, yeah. people, there was a fever for this movie. Yeah, and movies weren't making a billion dollars very often back then. And then remember yeah. the midnight screenings. I remember the good old days of Thursday night previews where it was just a one showing, showing at midnight. Yeah, now with showing. The, now the Thursday previews, it starts all at four. It starts at three. It starts on Wednesdays. Oh, yeah. You, starts- can go to, you can go see the movies on Wednesdays in some places. Yeah. And it starts at three o'clock. And then it's not yeah. even a preview anymore. They might as well count it for the weekend. But it's just kind of just take that's advantage why, yeah, of the system. That's why the box office uh, performances now, they it's not quite the same. Because back then it was just really just Friday, Saturday, Sunday. But now, like you said, it's... All it's absolutely Thursdays included, and then also sometimes Wednesday nights. Yeah, our box office weekend was 180 yeah. versus yeah. like what it would have been. But I remember the Dark Knight midnight screening previews was insane. It yeah. was a it was a show, man. It was a, it was an event that people were dying to get into the theaters for. And this is before like selecting your seats online, so we, you had to get there early. Yeah, before yeah. We went. People were camping out at midnight go, to go see the Dark Knight, which was incredible. And it was one of the most successful opening weekends of all time. I think it was at the time. 100, 153 million opening weekend it was, no, it was number one at the, the time thursday yeah. previews it was midnight only and just I, midnight I, I think it was like it had to have been like five to ten million dollars just on that thursday midnight screening yeah, yeah. which is so, insane yeah one screening yeah. in every theater that's well, the, multiple theaters so that's the way i, I actually missed that because it felt like oh it's like you have to be like a like a super fan to like want to be able to stay up till 3 a.m you didn't have this. to be a super fan but yeah. people yeah, yeah. were doing it you know it was i missed that but that's what like but the dark knight changed movie going experiences for people with that kind of entertainment value and kind of marketing where it's the Midnight Preview, The Dark Knight. This movie was huge. It was the number one superhero movie of all time for like a year until whatever came out. Yeah. In, in, what, what was after this? Like Spider-Man. When did Spider-Man? For three? opening weekend? No, for box office. For Well, Avengers beat it. Okay, Avengers beat it like two years 200 later. million. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so Avengers, the first film, broke the weekend box office record. Yeah. With uh, 202 million. Mm-hmm. But it was, it was a really special movie. I, I think it has it had one of the best trailers of all time. It was just like every and everyone was talking about this movie, and it was just really special. And I also really love Dark Knight Rises. I think it's terrific. I know it gets mixed reviews, but I find it really entertaining. Well, so well crafted, beautifully filmed on IMAX film by Wally Pfister, and the actors are all terrific. I really like Tom Hardy as Bane. I think it was just like a really worthy successor to Heath Ledger's Joker, which was kind of impossible to follow it up. And I like the stakes. Of Gotham being held ransom, um, I think it was just a phenomenal end and capping to the trilogy. It's hard to finish a trilogy, especially something as big as The Dark Knight was. Like there was a lot of expectation, and sometimes, sometimes too big of expectations can make a movie feel less than. And it always feels like, oh, it didn't live up to the hype. But and I think hype can be a problem, especially nowadays. Everything gets hyped up to be like the best thing ever, and then when it's not, it gets like people are super bummed out and disappointed. Where it's just like. I, I like to just walk into a movie, like, just, we'll see what happens. Not just, like, being like, this is going to be the best movie ever. If you like the trailer, that's awesome. But, like, I, I like to walk into movies just, like, open-minded, not too many expectations. But this is a movie that I think was really a perfect ending for the trilogy. I love the finale. I love um, b- uh, Bruce Wayne in Italy at the end with and with his <laughs> ending. I, I love Blake taking over. It, it's just a, a beautiful, beautiful series, and... Um, Nolan really cemented his status as a preeminent filmmaker in uh, modern Hollywood. Probably the biggest filmmaker on the planet. You know? Yeah, right now. It's, yeah. it's nuts. And I mean, even his original IPs almost make a billion dollars, which is wild. 
And I mean, they're so well written. The screenplays are excellent. The thematic storylines as well in terms of having fear in the first one being the main theme, then chaos in the second film and pain in the third film is the main thematic elements, but staying true to that for each individual story, then tying it all together in the third film. You know, what Nolan did was incredible. And then um, co-writing with his brother for the third one. And then the, the other two, he co-wrote it with David S. Goyer. Um, who well, did no Jonah helped with the Dark Knight. They're dark. So, okay. so Goyer got a story credit on Dark Knight, but um, Jonah got the co-writer credit. Okay, and on Dark Knight Rises. Yeah, and then Goyer was the co-writer on I, Batman I, Begins. I believe Nolan. I think Chris Nolan wrote Dark Knight Rises by himself. Possibly. I might be. I'm pretty sure Possibly. Jonah only helped out with Dark Knight. Someone correct us on that. But all three of those guys just contributed to an incredible writing trilogy, mm -hmm. and it's just. To, to ground Batman as superheroes so much, change superheroes forever. You know, Iron Man wouldn't be what it is. The MCU would not have gone where it went in the opening first couple of phases if it wasn't for Batman Begins. John Favreau said that they used Batman Begins as the main influence for Iron Man. And you can see it there entirely, yeah. especially even the the uh, nonlinear storytelling that Nolan used in mm -hmm. the first half of Batman Begins. That's why I think Iron Man's so strong. Yeah, because the nonlinear storytelling yeah. in the first half of that as well. Just a little bit bouncing back and forth. Not as complex or complicated as Batman Begins, which is one of the greatest strengths of that film, which obviously you know, you all know we've talked about it a lot. Um, we Have we ever done solo episodes in the Batman movies? We're planning to. We're planning we should, to. We yeah, did the we trilogy will. episode, yeah. which was an excellent, excellent episode. It's our best performed episode. 140,000 views on YouTube. No big deal. NBD. <laughs> It's slowed down though, but you know we we all you all know how much we adore the Dark Knight trilogy, and we know how much you all adore adore it as well. And we all we know how much you adore us adoring, adoring over it, <laughs> doting on it. But let's move on to the next trilogy. Now, someone might not agree, but next well, we have so we might get some subscribers. The Godfather trilogy is next for the greatest trilogies of all time. This is number three, so it's top three. Solely on the first two films, The Godfather and Godfather Part Two, arguably two of the greatest films of all time. The first one might be the greatest film ever made, depending on your opinion. I think it might be. Um, it's top five for me easily. The third one's actually better than people think. It's very good. It's, it's obviously good, it's a well-made movie. It's obviously not the same level, but it is still very good. And the craftsmanship is phenomenal. Even though you know it was made with the uh, idea with the, the the motivation of making money. And making Every, a everyone buck. spent all their money. Everyone needed their god. They needed their Godfather money back. They're like, oh man, I gotta get another. You know, <laughs> you know how much insurance our fire costs. Come on, come I on, Frank. I should have bought that French estate. Francis, <laughs> I need some more money. <laughs> a couple is like, I need more wine money. <laughs> Spend everything on apocalypse now. <laughs> so that's why the movie was made. We all know the story of how it was just made for them to make money. And if, if the third one was as good as the other two, this would be the number one. It'd be a no-brainer. Yeah. But it's still a good movie. It's, yeah. it's solid. Um, but the first two films are untouchable. They are incredible. They might be the best two movies on on this entire list. It's between that and like it's Dark possible. Knight and then the, the Lord of the Rings movies. But absolutely, the Godfather and Godfather Part Two are masterpieces in filmmaking, in writing, in acting, in production, makeup, wardrobe. Every facet of these movies are perfect in every single way. Foley art. <laughs> the Foley art's incredible. The cat. What a performance. <laughs> but we did so we did solo episodes on every Godfather movie this year, and it was really excellent to finally talk about them because we we were saving that bacon in the freezer for a while. You know, we didn't want to open that up too early. We wanted to wait. I was saving that bacon. We wanted the audience to grow a little bit before we tapped into those because we love them so much. And Nina wrote that with the music, but you know what Francis Ford Coppola did was marvelous, remarkable. He's one of the greatest filmmakers of all time, one of the top five in America for sure, but these two movies 
cemented as one of the best trilogies of all time. Yeah, and we we have this head of Star Wars because as amazing and monumental as Star Wars is and changed cinema and obviously honestly has defined American cinema for a long time now. It's incredibly important. But just to have – it's the Godfather 1 and 2. They really are two of the greatest films ever made in the history of all of cinema. And to have – I mean to have those two in your trilogy, you got to be up high. And I, and I think that outside of sci-fi and, and studio big-budget filmmaking, The Godfather 1 and 2 actually have probably just as much influence on filmmaking today and over the last um, 40 years. If not more. If, yeah, if maybe more because of the storytelling, because of the – the craftsmanship because of the style of the approach to the, to the filmmaking, uh, because of the acting. So you can you can argue it is just as influential as something like Star Wars. It might not be as ostentatious, but in terms of how movies are made and what stories, how stories are told, these two are really, really uh, pillars of uh, film. And Pacino, the, just the first two movies alone as Michael Corleone might be the greatest performance in the history of cinema. In American cinema, possibly, but just what he did with those first two movies, astounding work. Absolutely incredible. The first one's such an underrated performance. And then Brand- we, we Brando about. is and like, Brando, yeah, yeah, in the first film. Absolutely. But I think Pacino, really, what he did in that movie, cemented himself as one of the best actors of all time, if not the best. Yeah, and then Gordon Willis, uh, one of the greatest DPs ever. Uh, he, he revolutionized film cinematography with the Godfather movies, uh, shooting with uh, very low light, shooting um, with light that would pour over someone's head unflatteringly. Um, his cinematography really is some of the best ever, and these are two great examples of it. Now it's time to start talking about a galaxy far, far away. Now, so- and sorry in advance for putting it number four on our list. That's high yeah. praise, yeah. still. Come on. Yeah, I know, but still high praise. I just want. I, 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 we still adore them. Yeah, we yeah. love these movies so much. So the Star Wars trilogy, the original trilogy with A New Hope, The Empire Strikes Back, and Return of the Jedi. That's Dawson. Right. That's right. Dawson's favorite. Dawson's favorite movie. <laughs> These movies are incredible. We just talked about them again for like the 70th time recently. Uh, we did solo episodes on them. They were as fun well. episodes. They were um, good. Dressed up as them. But, you know, you can't talk about American cinema without talking about Star Wars and what it's done to the sci fi genre and just movies in general and franchises and to see where it's come. And now it's so much a part of our American culture that. It seems to be maybe the 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 most valuable prof the most valuable property in terms of entertainment right now in America I think so probably and pop culture wise it's it's amazing to see how it's gotten stronger than ever because I feel like when we were growing up it was still kind of nerdy to be like a big Star Wars super fan but nowadays it's become like the cool thing it's you know? weird not to be a fan yeah of Star it's weird Wars not movies. to be yeah. it's kind of odd how that works it's, it, the the transformation in the complete like switch was i don't think anyone saw that coming mm-hmm. and it's it, but it's very interesting to see how the the property and the ip has become more beloved now than it ever has been yeah and we're, it's, we're it's getting, almost been 50 years were you getting uh wedgies and bullied for liking star wars when you were a kid anthony <laughs> <laughs> no we were never star wars kids we like we liked the we movies we liked them we saw them but we weren't like big star we wars we didn't get people. into it until we were like in our teens i would say yeah um like we we yeah we never really watched the old ones when we were younger at all really Just here here and there yeah we knew of them but yeah. like we weren't huge on like sci-fi movies, I gained appreciation time. for them as an adult mm-hmm. when I watched the original trilogy, too, and then yeah. and then you see what Lucas did and how you know incredible and how impactful the storytelling and filmmaking was. How the genre was basically the sci-fi genre was revitalized and brought back to life in a lot of ways, and um, it, it it spawned countless imitators 
Well, there's really only one Star Wars, and even though it kind of is itself an imitator, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> a lot of other properties. Yeah, yeah. But it was like a, a perfect blend of all these things that he was inspired by, and but what he did with the practical filmmaking, with the visual effects, with the special effects, what that team did was really sensational with the first ILM. film. Yeah, an ILM and really incredible filmmaking, and it's just su such a terrific film. The characters, the cast. I mean, lightsabers are so cool. I mean, there's just so much going for it. The mythology is really yeah. fascinating as well. You know, the religious aspects of the Force and the Jedi versus the dark side. It's really interesting. It's prevalent in most cultures as well. The dark dark versus good and evil versus uh, righteousness. And it's really fascinating. And just, again, the, the, the practical effects, what they did with the massive ships, you know, the influence they got from 2001 Space Odyssey, obviously, but then expanding on that and people have never seen anything like this before. But it'd be it'd be wild to have a time machine and take someone that like made this movie, like maybe take George Lucas into the future and see how big it is in the culture to mm -hmm. see how mind blowing that would be for him. Because, you know, not only did it make him a billionaire, but he is one of the biggest names in entertainment. Yeah, everyone knows what he looks like. Everyone knows his name. He's uh, an icon. Just yeah. because of this. Yeah. Just because of Star Wars. Not like someone like Spielberg who's made, you know, movies of every genre. Like 45 so many different movies. characters. Yeah. So many different, uh, like, films, styles. But, like, George Lucas, like, just, just this one franchise, this one brilliant idea mm -hmm. just propelled him to one of the biggest filmmakers of all time. And what a risk, man, because it could have been bad. It could have been. It, honestly, it should have been bad. Because <laughs> I remember last time we watched it uh, to prep for our episode, we were, watch we were watching it, and then I just go... This could have been so terrible, but it just all, it every works. beat works. It works. Every, every moment works. It clicked, man. Yeah. Something, ha it's like lightning in a bottle. Yeah, it really is lightning. And, you know, now it's just a thunderstorm all, all over the entire planet. It's just like, <laughs> it's striking down everywhere. 17 TV shows, 47 movies. I can't go, I can't go to Trader Joe's without seeing a Star Wars shirt. <laughs> it's everywhere. It really is everywhere. It's funny. It's funny. And especially online on in, uh, TikTok and and uh, social media, the TikTok, I mean, the Star Wars fandom is really just widespread now. It's incredible. Yeah. It really is. It's really, on. it's really impressive. Let's move on to one more, then we'll hit our intermission. That oh, sound? I love this one. Okay, the Before Trilogy, Richard Linklater's uh, Masterful Trilogy with Julie Delpy and Ethan Hawke. This is about star-crossed lovers, and each film tells a different aspect to their relationship. Uh, the first one was about the meeting and having a very romantic night in uh in europe and then the second film is them reconnecting back in france and then the third film is them married with a couple of kids and spoiler <laughs> it's been out for eight years i knew they got married it's been, it's been out for almost 10 years but um these are some of my favorite movies uh i think they're the greatest films depicting uh romance and in love and relationships because uh richard linklater wrote the films with ethan hawk and julie delpy they put a lot of themselves into the writing you can tell it um, the film was made with a lot of long takes. All of them are. Lots of long takes. It really immerses you into each moment, makes you feel like you're watching two people conversing. And life is about, you know, the relationships we have with people and, you know, talking with people and especially a partner. You talk a lot with your partner. You, it's, you so many conversations with that person. So uh, it's, it's great to see it depicted where these movies, they don't really have plots. They don't really have big conflicts. They don't have antagonists. It's just two people connecting, and it shows the the ups and downs of that. It's not like they just fall in love and it's all easy peasy. Every movie, you know, there's conflict, and um, it's not just like super simple, and they have the connection, but is it going to work out? Is it not going to work out? 
Um, the actors are phenomenal. Richard Linklater's minimalist filmmaking is really beautiful. I think they're so, so magical. Um, so there's so much heart and love in them. And they're some of my favorite movies to rewatch. They're so relatable. You know, the concept of fate is so prevalent in these movies where, you know, like life is like the butterfly effect. You know, one thing can happen on yeah. some random day when you're young and it changes the entire course of your life. Just like how the first movie opens up. You know, they're both on this train. They don't know each other. But because this loud family is, is talking and, and the couple's one, of them, arguing. one yeah. of them wants to move to a different seat. And then he, he sees she see they see each other because one of them changed seats and. And then it starts a conversation, and then an entire life is between the two of them is created from that moment, even though they don't really get together till later on in the trilogy. But still, they have this wonderful night. It's so fantastical. It's like a dream. It's sort of something that like you might fantasize about, you know, talking to someone on a train and then randomly just getting off and spending an entire night with somebody awake on some random in some random city in Europe. And it's really beautiful, so well written. And the first film is so simple. And touching and funny at the same time where they like just lose contact like oh we'll, we'll figure it out like meet me here in a year it's it's so funny and then you know the second film uh ethan hawk's character he's a successful writer now he wrote a book based on this experience and then they reconnect in europe while he's on his book tour there and then the third film like andy says when they're married and they have children their their lives are completely different but it's so realistic and and relatable to anyone who's been married or you know you have a family that was like this or parents that were like this and how it changes you, how it ages you. And just the, I hope they make a fourth film because, you know, these characters, they're so well made, but because they do such a great job, it's kind of like the film Boyhood where they shot that like over the course of like 10, 15 years, the characters are aging into their, the actors are aging into their characters and it really gives so much authenticity to their performances, especially because Ethan Hawke and Julie Delpy were so integral to all the scripts and their their co-writers on the last two, I believe, definitely the last one. They weren't credited on the first one, but they did help write it. They were credited on the second two. So, so much improvisation and realistic dialogue was put in these because of this effort that they all put into it. And it's just incredible filmmaking. They're, they're kind of like French films in a lot of ways. They feel they feel like a French film made by Americans, except for Julie Delpy. Yeah. Um, but they're, they're tremendous. And I highly recommend checking them out if you've never seen them before. I hope they make a fourth one um, because so the first one before Sunrise came out in 95, then before Sunset came out in 2004, so nine year gap, and then before Midnight came out in 2013, so that was also a nine year gap. So right now it's the nine year gap from the last film. So I, hopefully they're in development with a third one. I would love to see them with their kids grown up and dealing with that. And then, I mean, I'm, I would be happy to keep watching these movies every 10 years yeah, with and Jesse, I, watching Jesse and Celine's story. I love films that are shot on location in Europe, whatever country it is, you know, especially like Italy, France. I think they're so cinematic and so beautiful. You know, that's why I love movies like Call Me By Your Name so much. But these are so special as well because of that fact, shot in these incredible cities. Parts of the cities you don't see that tourists may see if they're walking around, which is so fascinating. They don't go to like the most incredible locations in those towns. They just like, yeah, they're walking around yeah. the alleys and the streets that you would find yourself on if you were on vacation somewhere like that. And it's, it's really fascinating, but it also isn't a happy story. There's ups and downs to relationships, which they show in every film, especially the third film. We know they're, they're just like kind of getting sick of each other and they have these, they have kids in there. Their lives are a lot more stressful than it was when they were young, just falling in love on a train. And it's, it's a really beautiful story and I hope it never ends. Me too. Oh, man, it's touching. How about we move to our intermission? Let's do it. And then we'll get back to our best trilogies of all time. 
before we continue, the very best way to support Raiders of the Lost podcast is to share us with your friends and family members who love movies as well and become a patron at patreon.com slash Raiders of the Lost podcast. You get awesome perks like personalized messages and videos. Every single patron gets access to a weekly bonus episode, which you can watch. Nobody else can check it out except for patrons. We have all sorts of tiers, $2, $5, $10, $25, and $100 tiers. $10, $25, and $100 tier patrons get access to our Discord. There you can interact with us every day. You can also attend our watch parties on Discord as well. $25 and $100 tier patrons also get their own custom episode. You pick the topic, and we do an episode just for you. And then $100 tier patrons, you are the chosen ones. You also get your own personal watch party. You are an executive producer at the end of every main episode. You will hear your name called out for executive producers from Patreon. And after three months in this tier, you also get to come on the show for a fun guest segment. We've done it a bunch of times with, with our chosen one patrons. We have more coming, but it's always such a blast. Thank you so much to everyone who supports us on Patreon. It is the reason why we can do this show full-time. It keeps the lights on. We wouldn't be able to do it without you. So thank you so much for the support around the world. This episode is sponsored by our great friends at MoviePosters.com. Use our promo code RAIDERS10 to get 10% off your order today. MoviePosters.com has a gigantic selection of pretty much every movie and TV show imaginable in their poster library. So if you're a fan of any of these movie trilogies... The best place to get your posters for these trilogies is, of course, at MoviePosters.com. They also have all sorts of sizes, framing, and they even have backlighting for your poster needs. So whatever you want, they got you covered. Our set in our home is decked out with dozens of these amazing posters. High quality, excellent prints. They look amazing. Now, for all your poster needs, make sure to go to MoviePosters.com and use our promo code RAIDERS10 to get 10% off your order today. All right, let's head on into our intermission, Anthony, and begin with the movie quote competition. Whoa, the the uh, presentation the here. The voice is coming yeah. out. You know, I'm, I'm, Radio becoming, man. I'm getting a little more theatrical. I like it. I'm preparing for the live show. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> Here's my quote. I can tell the... I can tell you the license plate numbers of all six cars outside. I can tell you that our waitress is left-handed, and the guy sitting up at the counter weighs 215 pounds and knows how to handle himself. I know the best place to look for a gun is the cab or the gray truck outside, and at this altitude, I can run flat out for a half a mile before my hand starts shaking. Now, why would I know that? How can I know that and not know who I am? The Born Identity. Yes, sir. Jason Bourne. Here's mine. <clears throat> I'll tell you a secret. Something they don't teach you in your temple. The gods envy us. They envy us because we're mortal, because any moment might be our last. Everything is more beautiful because we're doomed. You will never be lovelier than you are now. We will never be here again. Hmm. That quote's actually, that's a pretty hard quote, actually. You never be lovelier than you are now. That sounds so familiar. That's harder than I thought it was, actually. Sorry. Say it again one more time. I should have taken a different quote from this movie. I'll tell you a secret. Something they don't teach you in your temple. The gods envy us. They envy us because we're mortal, because every moment might be our last. Everything is more beautiful because we're doomed. You'll never be lovelier than you are now. We will never be here again. Huh. Troy. So I should have pulled a different quote. Is that uh is that Brad? Yeah. Yeah. Man. Alright. It's okay, man. Talking about Rose Burns character. Yeah. Alright, Anthony. Guess this movie release year. Public enemies. 2010. 2010. 
2009. Oh, so close. Guess this movie released here. Braveheart. Ah, ah. 1996. <laughs> 95. <laughs> All right, movie pop quiz time. Can you name any of the original titles for the film Edge of Tomorrow? All you need is kill. That's the name of the manja, manga. Oh, so name the original titles? Yeah. Well, that's that's one of them, sure. Uh huh. But there's one that was like the main title that 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 uh, the studio made them change. That Doug Liman was not happy about. They Live, like forced him to change it. Live, die, repeat. Yeah, that was the former title. So I mean, it, was, it was after the film was released. No, no, yeah, but it's still labeled as Edge of Tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Like it'll go down in history as Edge of the Tomorrow, yeah, Edge yeah. of Tomorrow, unless they change it forever. I thought they changed it. I thought they changed it to Live Die Repeat for the DVD release. That's just—it's not official. It's still Edge of Tomorrow. No, no, I'm just confused by your question. Yes, what was the original title? Uh, no, I don't think it was the original title. Was it Live Die Repeat? That's where they were going to go with. Really? Yeah. And then they changed it to Edge of Tomorrow. Oh, before there was the movie was released. Terrible title. Because Doug Liman wanted Live Die Repeat or All You Need Is Kill, uh-huh. and then well, it's War Brothers, right? I'm remember, not sure. I can't remember which one, but they uh-huh. the studio made him change it or keep it to or make it Edge of Tomorrow, which he wasn't happy about. Hmm. I like Edge of Tomorrow. I think it's a good title. I think but it's a good title. I think All You Need Is Kill is sick. I think All You Need Is Kill is the best one. That's an awesome. Live title. Die Repeat sounds confusing. Also, uh, not not necessarily. But I think all you need is kill. The manga title is insanely cool. Live die repeat sounds like a tagline, not a movie title. Which they used that they yeah. used it as a tagline. Yeah, yeah. But all you need is kill sounds like a great title. That's so cool. Yeah, that's such a badass title. Okay, here's my quiz question. Brian Cox played the chief of the police station in what comedy? <laughs> hey, Farvra, what's that place you like with all the shit on the walls? You mean Chashi's? <laughs> <laughs> No shenanigans. You mean shenanigans? You mean shenanigans? Oh, co- I, hey, chief! I guess you gotta hit him. Guess you gotta pistol with him. I'm gonna pistol with the next. I'm person gonna pistol with the them. Pistol with the next person that says shenanigans. <laughs> Super troopers. Hey, Favre. No, is it? Yeah, Favre. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Farva. Farva. Something like that. Oh man, those guys are funny. All right, um, Anthony, what do we have for our haters this week? Anything? We got some good ones. We got some we good got. ones. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that sounded like a Mark Wahlberg impression by Andy Samberg. <laughs> hey, goat. Hey, hey, goat. Hey, How's goat. your mother? Tell <laughs> your mother for me. But first, before we get to unsubscribes, we got a lot of origins jokes. <laughs> so, Bold Trout Eleven wrote in our Western episode three ten to Yuma origins. How did Ben Wade escape twice from Yuma prison? <laughs> we have to know. Ben twice, escape twice. <laughs> and then Ben the Dork wrote in our Star Wars clip, coming soon to Disney Plus, Queen Amidala's, Queen Amidala's double origins. <laughs> Queen Amidala's double. Yeah, talk, <laughs> talking about Keira Knightley. <laughs> then there's a funny comment. Uh, Titana, Titana Rhyme wrote, these two guys have the same voice, basically. It looks so alike. <laughs> So I wrote, we're identical twins. (laughs) I don't think they knew. (laughs) Eddie Armstrong, only one poster giveaway, unsubscribe. Oh, we got to do another one soon. Mr. Leak Mudpids, if I don't win, I'll be sure to unsubscribe. JK, just, I love you guys. Uh, Infocide, uh, 64, if I don't get a poster, unsubscribe. (laughs) Jesse Medeiros, if I don't win this giveaway, I will unsubscribe. Ricky Ricardo, if I don't win, I will unsubscribe. (laughs) Eamon Qualadi, Eamon... Ola Wadi, Ola Dali. Sorry, bud. Well, bro. 
<laughs> That's Anthony saying that, just so you know he's butchering your name, not me. For free movie posters giveaway, unsubscribed. <laughs> How dare they? John Andrade, if I don't get chosen, I will unsubscribe. JK, just please choose me, guys. <laughs> unsubscribed. Congentinium, if I don't win, I sadly must unsubscribe. <laughs> Got a bunch of them. It's, just, it's really good stuff. Do you have any real haters? Um, No real haters, no. There are some haters on our Western episode. Um... But I can't remember the comments. But yeah, that's well, it. I hope they unsubscribed. <laughs> <laughs> All right, moving on to On This Day in Film History. Today is November 28th in 1907. In Haverhill, Massachusetts, scrap metal dealer Louis B. Mayer opens his first movie theater, who is also the co-founder of MGM. Oh, wow. Very Great, cool. business, great business person. 1993, Adam's Family Values is released. In 1975, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest is released. In 1999, The Boondock Saints and The World Is Not Enough is re are released. In 2004, National Treasure and the SpongeBob SquarePants movie are released. In 2010, Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 1 is released. In 2012, The Hobbit, An Unexpected Journey, premieres in New Zealand. And in 2021, King Richard and Ghostbusters After Afterlife are released. Happy birthday to Meg Ryan and Adam Driver. My streaming recommendation is going to be Oblivion on Netflix. This is a sci-fi film that stars Tom Cruise made by Joseph Kaczynski. I revisited it recently. How was the revisit? The revisit was exactly how I expected because I think the first 45 minutes of this movie is excellent, really well made, but I think it does drag a little bit in the second half and it tails off. And I think that it was great practice probably for Joseph, Kaz Joseph Kaczynski because he made Top Gun Maverick. And I think he learned a lot from cockpit sequences and, and jets and flying and how to film it really effectively from this movie. And I think if, if he didn't make this movie, obviously he wouldn't have made Top Gun Maverick, but he also wouldn't have done such a great job with it. And I think Tom is such a great star, but I think it's still worth a, a rewatch if you haven't seen it in a while. It's still a cool sci-fi movie. It's a great idea. It's good. Yeah, it's good. The music's great, too, by M83. I recommend Pedro Almodovar's film Volver is now available on Criterion Channel. Penelope Cruz and the rest of the cast are amazing. Check it out. Volver. <laughs> <laughs> is that your uh, Spanish accent? Volver. Volver. Yo soy Volver. No, no. Volver's a verb. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. means return. I am, I am living. <laughs> no, it means uh, return. Volver means to live. Or Volver? Yeah. Volver means to live in Spanish, I believe. How do you spell Volver the way you're spelling it? V-O-L-V-E-R? Pretty sure. Or is it Viva? Pretty sure that's return. V Viva. Viva is live in Espanol. Oh, what's like, Volver mean? Uh, return. Oh. Shit. Yeah, I don't speak Spanish. Clearly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like uh, Vivo a Los Angeles. That means yeah. I live in Los Angeles. Viva Las Vegas. Exactly. <laughs> So you, know, so you know Spanish. Eileen's like shaking. Eileen's shaking her head right now at Anthony. <laughs> sorry, sorry, Eileen. I don't speak Spanish. He's pretty good at Italian. It's okay. I know. I know more Spanish than you, but you know, yeah, way more you. Spanish than me. Uh, moving on to our. Are we getting back into the episode? Oh yeah, man. We're cool. Getting, Let's get back, back in into our best trilogies of all time. And Anthony, why don't you take it away? I got. It's time for some subtitles, guys. <laughs> you know it was coming. There's an uh, amazing French trilogy made by the Polish director, Krzysztof Kieslowski. It's called Three Colors Trilogy, uh, Red, Blue, and White. Uh, they, in, they came out all within the, a few years of each other, and they tell three separate stories that are interconnected by one event. Um, there's a, a, tr a tragic event that connects all three characters. Um, 
And so it is technically a trilogy, even though they tell three different stories. Um, Juliet Binoche stars in one film. Julie Delpy, who we just talked about, stars in uh, the white version. And then the, a French actress, I can't remember her name, stars in the red, but she's terrific. But they're all really incredible, so well-crafted. They tackle very different themes. Uh, red is about this young woman who discovers that a neighbor of hers is a, a former judge who's spying on his neighbors um, and filming them. And Three Colors White is about this man whose wife divorces him, so he plots this elaborate scheme to get back at her, which is ridiculous. And then Three Colors Blue, Juliette Binoche uh, plays this woman whose uh, husband and daughter just recently passed away, and she's trying to pick up the pieces of her life. And so they're all different themes, um, really well done, really well acted. Each one of them is a perfect movie in its own um, these are all available on the Criterion channel and for rent on Amazon Prime. If you haven't seen them, I highly recommend checking them out because uh, the filmmaker, he beautifully displays the colors in each film. So the blue film, you'll see blue all over the place with like set details or props or clothing. And in the white film, there'll be like white things all over the place. In the red film, there'll be red pieces of set or a clothing or even lighting techniques. It's really beautiful how... He keeps the presence of the color constantly visible for the audience in every scene. It's really remarkable filmmaking. and um, They all have such great themes of, of tra tragedy, comedy, drama. It's just re remarkable storytelling, uh, immaculate uh, filmmaking, and impressive acting. Speaking of immaculate filmmaking, let's move on to our next trilogy. The Dollars Trilogy from Sergio Leone, who made A Fistful of Dollars. A for a few dollars more, and then The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, all starring the man himself, Clint Eastwood. These are the quintessential Western films, the most iconic character that Clint Eastwood ever played, the man with no name. And, you know, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly is easily one of the best movies of all time. It's one of the best, it might be the best Western ever made, but, you know, the creation of the spaghetti Western, you know, filming in Italy, even though the locations are the American Southwest and, and, and South. <laughs> Which makes, what's his name, such a bonehead. For criticizing um, the power of the dog, who? Uh, what's the What's the guy's name? He's the voice, and he's he's the voice in the Sam Elliott. Sam Elliott, exactly. Yeah, yeah he criticized because um, they filmed in New Zealand, right? Yeah, he's like, "What does New Zealand look like?" Why he's, he's like, like, "Doesn't look shot like yeah." This trilogy in Italy, yeah. Like, get Get the hell out of here! It's Earth. <laughs> it's like get the hell out of here! We're not, like, not, we're not on a different planet, Sam Elliott. Okay, the deserts look <laughs> a like mountains. A mountain. Deserts, yeah. deserts. Bushes are bushes. <laughs> it doesn't fucking matter. That laser's not indigenous to Wyoming. That's they did not shoot this in Colorado. Anyways, I think um, Clint Eastwood's star making role with the man with no name is just. So memorable, which Tarantino playfully inserted as uh, as DiCaprio's the story role. of like going. Yeah. To, I, I gotta go to Italy and start. Yeah. I gotta start an Italian <laughs> Rick, Western. Rick Dalton is Clint Eastwood. Yeah, kind of a lot, in of, a ways. lot of ways. Yeah, <laughs> like in terms of going there, well, he's he's a lot more pathetic than. Clint. Yeah, he's way more pathetic. Clint's yeah. the man. <laughs> Rick Dalton. He's always been the man. Rick Dalton's a goddamn mess. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but I think going to Italy, starring westerns, which you know wasn't like the greatest thing for an actor to do at the time, but it turned out to be a huge success for him and. These movies are so memorable, and I think, like, growing up as a teenager, The Good and the Bad and the Ugly, The Good, the Bad and the Ugly is one of the coolest movies I'd ever seen in my life when I was, like, 15, and I think we watched it together for the first time, possibly, and I was just possible. blown away. It was possible. so goddamn cool. <laughs> definitely possible. And badass, and, you know, this trilogy's incredible, and the final act of the third film is just masterful, and the, the final standoff, the Mexican standoff, it's so memorable. They, they It's been referenced in so many goddamn movies. They even referenced it in Black Adam, but... You know, I love it so much. Me too, man. They're, they're, they're so much fun. And 
Uh, Sergio Leone and Ennio Morricone scores. It's incredible. It's remarkable. The themes that he created, you, yeah. you see it in commercials all the time. You recognize in so many of them. Yeah. So many themes that are so memorable. Mm-hmm. Um, the, da, na, 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 in, in Quentin Tarantino yeah. movies as well. It's yeah. all over the place. The guitar. Still yeah. in the culture. Yeah. The, the choir work. It's amazing. It's amazing. Incredible. All right. Next up, we have Sam Raimi's Spider-Man trilogy, which was... Very different titles. So Spider-Man, Spider-Man 2, and then Spider-Man 3. Whew. All over the place. That's all you need, man. That's all you need. <laughs> Some of these titles these days are so yeah, complicated. Yeah, yeah. It's just like, just put a two or a three effort. <laughs> Who cares? Who gives a fuck? That's funny. <laughs> Sony knows what's up. It's funny. And uh, we have this this trilogy pretty low on the list because, you know, the third one is, is it can be quite a weak film. It has a great start. It has a very good first 40 minutes. It's almost minutes, a great movie. But then it just completely veers into like, Come on, bro, the whole time and like Harry storyline and making omelets with yeah, Mary Jane. <laughs> doing the twist with well, making omelets. Like it's just got a little ridiculous. Amnesia. Amnesia. <laughs> Harry is just uh, uh, he's ridiculous. Oh he's like God. an eleven year old. Like, hey man, yeah. And then in the It's like Saul in Pineapple Express, same character. Yeah. And the symbiote <laughs> symbiote was cool, but ultimately didn't really work out. And Venom wasn't I mean, it was okay. He was okay. Wasn't that cool? Um, it was just like, I think it was overly convoluted with too many storylines, too many new characters. Um, it got too complicated with the villains. You have, um, Sandman, Venom, and Goblin, just too much. And then the finale with, um, Spider-Man and, and Harry fighting the others, it was just like, yeah, it's cool, I guess. Didn't... Great for opening 25 minutes. Terrific it's opening. Great. The first act. Really we talked about strong. it in depth yeah. when we did our Spider-Man trilogy and like, how yeah. is Harry not the villain the entire episode? Oh, and I like, don't know, man. That opera scene when he's in the box just looking at ha- at, at a Peter, it's just great. It's like, he great should setup. be like, the villain the whole time. Great setup. Get rid of the goddamn amnesia. They turn him into a bonehead. Yeah, Like man. a goofy bonehead he for two been hours. He could have such a great antagonist. Yeah, it's it's too, it's too bad. Um, So that's why it's so low. But the first two are remarkable. Spider-Man 1 I, it's is really huge when it came out. And what was it? 2001? 2004? Spider-Man 1? Yeah. 2002. 2002. Wow. And it took the world by storm. Nobody had ever seen a superhero film like that. X-Men was very good and it came out before, but and it was very successful, but it wasn't even close to compare to Spider-Man's success. And uh, Spider-Man is just it's a flat out terrific adaptation of the character and his stories. And then... Spider-Man 2 is, I think, one of the best uh, comic book film adaptations of all time. It's incredible. You have the terrific acting, great script, insane action. I still think the train sequence is one of the most impressive action sequences of all time. How does it look better than almost every it, superhero movie that comes still, out today? It looks fantastic. How? 2004. Yeah, it's, it's, the CGI is really great. There is There are moments where the CGI is noticeable, but for the most part, and for it being 2004... That train sequence blows me out of the water every and time. And the, the the building sequence on the yeah. outside of the bank sta- and, and, yeah, uh, yeah. skyscraper. And it, that, a lot of that comes down to you know Sam Raimi being just a very good director and knowing what he's doing. You know, it's just I don't know what it is. I think the lost you just don't care anymore. They don't, they they just like overwork the CGI artists yeah. and animators, and then they don't pay them enough, and they don't put enough of a budget into that department, and then they rush it because yeah. It was. It's incredible what they achieved. When you watch this movie, it looks better than almost every superhero movie that comes out today. I think a part of that is uh, Sam always Sam Raimi. Even with Multiverse of Madness, he factors in a lot of practical visual effects with the CGI to make it feel like it's really there. Like the train sequence, if that's filmed by pretty much anyone nowadays, by 
if that's like if that came out this year with the train sequence, the entire thing would probably be CGI. Yeah, but they actually crashed that train. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Toby trained for a while to actually oh, yeah, yeah, hold yeah, yeah, the yeah, ropes yeah, yeah. in the webbing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Lots of work. His biceps really tearing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but there's a but lot that's of a great practical effect. There's <laughs> the bicep yeah, yeah, tearing. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. There's just so much practicality mixed with the CGI to make it look better, mm-hmm. as opposed to the entire image. In the entire sequence being all CGI filmed with the actors on a green screen. Obviously, there's so much green screen work, but still, he blended in a lot of practicality with it. I think that's why even the visual effects in uh, Doctor Strange after the first act, which looked after, it looked like the first act of Doctor Strange was new uh, footage, which is why the CGI didn't really look that great. But then the rest of the movie looked terrific. So I think he's just really great with CGI. Yeah, I think so too. A lot of people were done like Zombie Strange completely CGI. Yeah, exactly. A lot of that's practical. Yeah. But yeah, just a great director. And plus, Danny Elfman's score for the Spider-Man trilogy is sensational. And Toby! One of the most memorable themes for a superhero of all time. Like, obviously, Superman now has basically, like, two themes from two great composers, John Williams and Hans Zimmer. Batman's had, like, a dozen themes from so many different composers. Hans's is the best, though, obviously. But but Danny did a great one, too, with Batman. Yeah, Yeah, his Batman theme's great. But then to make Spider-Man into an iconic theme as well, like the opening credit music for Spider-Man 1 and 2 is just... Out of this world, incredible and sensational, and we love these movies so much. I I like the third one. It's just man, the fir- the second half is just yeah. Whew, it's almost like the fight where Peter's in a suit and tie fighting Harry is incredible. It's a great scene. It's incredible. It's a great scene. He's not in a suit anymore. And he's ba- they're battling. It's it's awesome. But then the movie just nosedives from there. As soon as he gets amnesia, it's just. What are you guys doing? Who wrote this? They should just wake up and he didn't forget anything. Yeah. That would be great. That would have been... And then the battle in the hospital and then... Fucking amnesia, They could have had like four battles between the two of them. That would have been so cool. Amnesia. Amnesia. It's quite the cop-out. And we all know Sam Raimi wanted to do... I think he wanted to do Vulture. I think he wanted... Oh, no, no. He wanted to do just Sandman. No, he wanted to do Vulture. Vulture for number four. Okay, number four. Yeah. Anyways. He just wanted Sandman. Let's move on to the next trilogy on this list. The Millennium Trilogy. Yeah. From Sweden. Based on the Girl with the Dragon Tattoo trilogy, the original book series. Uh, the Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, the girl who played with fire, and then the girl who kicked the hornet's nest, written by Stieg Larsson. The Millennium Trilogy in Sweden, it's really tremendous. And even though we love the Girl with the Dragon Tattoo that Fincher made back in 2009, this is an incredibly well-made franchise. They, they made all three of these movies that came out in the same year, which was incredible. But, you know, we got Numi Rapace as... Elizabeth Salander, such an incredible role and star-making role for her. Now she's, you know, she's a Hollywood She's amazing. Star. Yeah, she's great. She's the perfect Elizabeth Salander. Not to say anything that against Claire Foy or Rooney, Rooney Mara, but, you know, I think Numi Rapace really encapsulated the she's character. The, uh, of, she's the perfect Lizbeth. Yeah, she, she is. She really is. And these movies are so well made. It was great to see the full trilogy. If, you, if you're if you fans of the books, I highly recommend them. They're incredible novels. And the, the books, the, the movies do a great job. And it, it's such a disappointment that Fincher didn't get to make his trilogy in Hollywood because the first one's such a good movie, but yeah. just didn't make enough money for the studio to be like, all right, let's here's another two hundred million dollars or something like that. Ninety, because it made like two fifty, but plus marketing and all that. So it broke even. It's not. Yeah, it's not broke. enough to so justify. So a lot of studios aren't. They're not going to put it into it. But you know, I love the first one. But you know, the, the the Swedish trilogy they did a really really great job. They're all great. They're all just as good as the one that came before it. Then uh, the directors did a good job. They were. Um, Thomas Alfredson finished out the franchise. He's become a big director. He did uh, let the right one in, and but all three films are really perfectly cast, well performed, well shot, um, and it's just like they're very faithful adaptations. Very yeah. faithful. 
Um, they are dense novels, so obviously there's a lot cut out, but they did a good job of fitting in as much as they could. And there's the the American one, they changed quite a bit up in terms of like characters like Harriet and stuff yeah. like that. But, you know, like Anthony said, the, these were more faithful. So if you're a huge fan of the book series, you'll probably enjoy the Swedish ones more. Yeah. Next up, we have a big one. Back to the Future franchise, a great trilogy. Hopefully it stays a trilogy. Um, and Robert Zemeckis... Uh, made one. Of, he made one of the best movies in the sci-fi genre in history with Back to the Future. I really like the third one. I'm not a huge fan of the second one, which is why I have it pretty low. I think it's good, but it, I just didn't, for me, it, it, the comedy doesn't really work for me in that one. And it's just not quite the same. And But the third one is a good change. We're in the Wild West. Change of pace. We're not in the future. We're back in the past again, which I think works better. Um, it's fun because of the yeah. play of the, on the title and everything. Back to the exactly. future, but we're going back to the past. Exactly, yeah. But the first one is just a legendary film. It will always go down as one of the best like American studio movies in history. And that's why it's on this list. But I would say just because part two, is, I, I think, is quite weak, I can't have it very high on this list. No, I agree with you too, for sure. And we did an episode on Back to the Future, just the first one by itself, because it's such an incredible movie, like a couple months ago. And that was so mm-hmm. fun to talk about. And again, we were saving that bacon for a while as well. Oh, that yeah. was in the freezer in the back that said, do not touch for a while. And we finally did because it was so much fun. And I know a lot of people enjoyed that episode because it's such a memorable film and franchise. And I, we hope to God that they never sell reboot the rights it. and reboot it, yeah. prequel. You know, if they got the rights, they would make like so many series oh, yeah. and prequels and, and sequels and it'd just be a goddamn shit show. It's a, it really is just a sensational film. It's unbelievable. Now, let me take away, <laughs> take it away with the next trilogy, you which did. I'm pretty offended that you have it this low. Um, Come on, man. <laughs> I don't know. It's actually pretty perfectly put. <laughs> the Oceans trilogy. So Oceans 11, Oceans 12, and Oceans 13, which are some of the most fun movies I have ever seen. I love these movies so much. I just watched 12 on the plane that I was on I bet last you week, did. Just for fun. <laughs> I, lo- I, lo- I love them too. Like the but fi- James is like in, in love with I them. I love these movies. They're yeah. so great. I love the cast. I love the music. I love the energy, the the editing. Soderbergh did so many fun, creative things with the filmmaking Very of creative. these movies. Very creative. Uh, they're just so, so fun. They're so well-paced and they're, they're a blast. And like some of the scripts are like kind of like, ah, oh, that's not that super yeah. airtight but it, and it you didn't, accept it, it yeah it didn't like do anything new at all it's a good little, time yeah. it's just like what you want exactly yeah. they're, they're highly entertaining they're funny um and, and all the characters are so unique and memorable but i love heist movies but when you get the tone of the of the comedy and the lightness at the same time it's just like a solid story with great characters as well as a ton of a-list actors and talented yeah, comedians yeah. and stuff like that I mean, we got George Clooney, Matt Damon, Don Cheadle, Bernie Max, and these Julia Roberts, Catherine Zeta-Jones, Brad Pitt. It's insane the yeah. people they got in these movies. Casey Affleck, Andy Scott Garcia, Cannon, Andy Garcia, exactly. So like Vincent Castle, Al Pacino yeah. for the third one. The cast are absurd, and the locations are beautiful. But I think Soderbergh is really the key. He's a really unique, unique filmmaker. He's definitely an auteur. In 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 the in a modern sense, the way he films and makes his movies, he's just he's very bold. But I think the music as well are all incredible. I think Daniel Pemberton did, did a great job with the Ocean's Eight for yeah. Kind of and we're keeping this. I mean, Ocean's Eight was made, but none of the cast. I mean, there's a, it's cam- not a sequel. There's really. a cameo, um, but like it's it's different cast, different crew, different director, different writer. It's just the same brand. So we're counting this as it's a trilogy. Yeah. This. Vincent Castle, obviously, as well. Uh, the, the, as the, the knight 
the night what the night fox the fox yeah. and then um david holmes did the music for the trilogy which is it's so sensational plus they have a bunch of great just soundtracks from they're from always good countries. time they're always then, good time like i said earlier i love movies that take place in other countries the second one's all over europe mm-hmm. vegas the other two they're just they're just a great time i yeah. love them the nose place <laughs> next up we have a horror franchise the evil dead trilogy uh sam raimi revolutionized the horror genre with such a low budget tr- fantastic filmmaking with the first two and he got uh, a little more crazy with army of the dead uh, army of darkness i mean these films are all just a lot of fun great scares excellent gore which is what you want ash is such a terrific lead character uh i, I love these movies we did a watch party of evil dead together once and it was just so much fun mm-hmm. um there's nothing like them and they they did remake it but it doesn't count because it's a remake, so this is still a trilogy, even though there's a fourth movie. So we're still counting this as it's just its own trilogy. But Sam Raimi helped redefine horror in the um, in the 80s and 90s. The remake's pretty good. It is. It's a pretty good remake. It's not pretty good. It's awesome. Yeah. I think it's terrific. It's intense. Yeah. It is as bloody as the hell. Kni- the <laughs> knife in the, to- in the tongue, man. Oh! <laughs> Why you gotta remind me? I got him to squirm. It's, it's sick. But speaking of horror trilogies, I mean, Once Upon a Time, Scream was a trilogy. Once upon a time, Once yeah. Upon a time. Now there's 17 yeah. of them. But I mean, it was the trilogy at one point where the first two were pretty solid. The oh, yeah, for great. sure. For sure. But um, let's move on to another superhero trilogy, Iron Man trilogy. So the first one arguably could be the best MCU movie outside of like Endgame, Infinity War maybe, or Infinity War. I love Iron Man. It'll always be a top three MCU movie for me. Um. I think what they did was incredible without Iron Man and taking kind of like a B-list comic book character in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, in Marvel, and turning him into the star of the MCU was really incredible. Jon Favreau really had an incredible vision and pulled it off so well with the first film and the second film. And then Shane Black took over for the third film, which is why it's a Christmas movie. <laughs> Who, him and he Downey. did a good job. Yeah, he did a good, did job. good job. So I think the first one's excellent. It's an incredible movie. Third one, I think, is really good as well. Has some issues here and there. The second one's probably the weakest of the two for me. I think the villains are is the, the antagonists are the worst part. But overall, I think it's the best trilogy in the MCU right now. I don't completely count Spider-Man as an MCU trilogy because nah, No Way Home. That's a Sony, Sony movie, everybody. A Sony that is a 75% of Sony picture. Yeah. So I don't even really count that as like a complete MCU Marvel film. Studios. Even though it's yeah. canonical to the MCU now, it's technically yeah. a Sony movie. And uh, but in terms of the other trilogies, Thor the Thor's trilogy was pretty good until the fourth one, and then the second one's not the that great. The second one's too weak. Yeah. Captain America's trilogy is pretty good, but the third one, that's not even a Captain America movie. That's, that's an Avengers movie. movie. And also the first Everybody's one. Everybody's in that yeah. goddamn movie. The, the first one's pretty good, but it's like the second one's awesome. Winter Soldier's yeah. lit. But uh, yeah, the first Avenger, it's it's a good movie, but yeah. it's not I don't think it's anything special. It's not like amazing. And the Hulk doesn't even have a trilogy. He's got he has two movies that aren't Ruffalo. <laughs> <laughs> so the MCU and the MCU, this is the best trilogy for sure. I think so too. And uh, I think the first one is really a top tier superhero film just of all time. The third one is is very good and it's very funny. The humor saves it in. Is I remember really enjoying it in when I watched it in theaters and it was very entertaining. The second one is good too. It, it had a lot of great moments and hit a lot of the notes you wanted but then i think it's just the third act was it was kind of an underwhelming finale uh, but they t- still did a good job and downey's still being downey you know uh but this is definitely so far the best mcu trilogy i would say i agree next up 
Yeah, baby. <laughs> we have the Austin Powers trilogy. So we have International Man of Mystery, The Spy Who Shagged Me, and then Austin Powers in Goldmember. Gold! Gold! Michael Myers is such a talented comedic actor and writer. Uh, these were so much fun to watch. And these were huge movies growing up. Like, everybody saw these. These were wildly successful for comedies that are rated R. Um, I love just the spoof of the Bond genre. And Mike Myers just had a blast, it looked like, making all these amazing characters, uh, being used, it, utilizing all of his skills and his entire repertoire as a performer in different ways uh, with Dr. Evil or Goldmember, many of the other characters that you see in the films. And Seth Green's a great <laughs> opposite to Dr. <laughs> Evil. But uh, Austin is just Austin. There's, there's no character like him. He's wildly offensive, but just like he still has a good heart inside mm -hmm. of him. Uh, Michael Caine as his dad was just perfect casting in Goldmember. It's, these movies are just really fun and flat out just complete entertainment. My favorite part might be the opening of number three where Tom Cruise is uh, playing Austin Powers in the film adaptation. <laughs> it's so funny. It's great. Yeah. Will Ferrell. Yeah. His, when he falls off the cliff and he's like screaming like, oh, it hurts so bad. <laughs> the bone had snapped in half. I need help. <laughs> So many great characters, so many great moments. You could like Mike Myers is really comparable to like Eddie Murphy in terms of their in terms of their filmography and the movies they kind of made in terms of the the disguises and multiple characters they play. Obviously, Eddie did more movies and more movies as Eddie Murphy as the actor, but like in terms of like he's he's done playing movies as well where you're playing like twenty characters in the same movie, just like Austin, like Mike Myers does with his films as well. Mm -hmm. I think they're they're very comparable with their filmographies, which is so cool. And For sure, they're really funny guys, very talented dudes. But it's Austin Powers, man. These are these are great. Next up, we have The Hobbit. I think Peter Jackson was probably burnt out at, at what he had to do to make physically, physically the yeah. the original trilogy, Lord of the Rings. It's like it looks like a president after probably like <laughs> after like two when, terms. Well, like when Obama after four years was completely gray. Yeah, yeah, same thing. They all like turned gray. So I think that's probably what happened to Peter Jackson. Just like this was like four years of my life that I was twenty four seven all day. Yeah. I, I didn't sleep at all making this entire trilogy happen. And make it possible. And then like with this, he's like, we're going to go CGI. <laughs> I have a vision. A I, have a vision. Green, I have a lot of green screen ideas. <laughs> we'll build some practical sets yeah. in studios. How's that sound? <laughs> with some big green walls. It's a big blue wall. You know these uh, orcs? We're just going to make them CGI. Yeah, we're going to make a CGI. Uh, <laughs> you know this one book? We'll turn it into three movies. <laughs> How, 200, 240 pages? I Don't worry it. about it. I get it. I understand why he did it. Um, I appreciate them more now than I ever did before, and I I will revisit them soon. But you know, I when it, it, comes, it is nice going back to Middle Earth. Like if if Lord of the Rings wasn't made, if they made this first, I'd be like, wow, it's pretty awesome trilogy. It wouldn't be Lord of the Rings though. It wouldn't be yeah. exactly. But you know, it's it's up there because it's so well made. Still, it's still really well well made trilogy. It's well crafted, yeah. And great actors, great performers, great yeah. great production design. Orlando's back. Yeah, we Martin have... Freeman is perfect as Bilbo. Yeah, he's perfect as Bilbo. Yeah, and I know, and uh, Gandalf's back. Ian McKellen's. So it's so cool. The elves and everything. <laughs> it's just... <laughs> like I but said, but for me, there is just way too much CGI, especially when you're such a big fan of Lord of the Rings and you watch this. And it's just it's too yeah. much. It's too much animation. Yeah. Uh, for my taste, but like you said, I totally understand where Peter Jackson was coming from. Also, he was a last-minute director. Um, Guillermo del Toro was originally right. attached to direct these. That would have been really cool. He was going to make two films out of it, but then he had to drop out, and then Peter Jackson was like, okay, we are already got the ball rolling. I'll take over from here. Mm -hmm. 
So I think he did an admirable job for not being the hired director for pre-production, you know, and just taking over for um, Guillermo. Um, they're good. They're very, they're very good movies. They're, I just think I, none of them are like that special, really. But they're just, they're all good times. And they're all just good. They're good. It's nice to be back in Shire. Yeah, it's a good trilogy. It's a good trilogy. It's a good trilogy. <laughs> Let's move on. Next, we have the prequel origin story, Planet of the Apes trilogy. <laughs> the only good origins. <laughs> so this is actually like the, one of the best origin stories of all time, you could say. And then to make it into a great trilogy, incredible CGI, and just following the story of the apes of Caesar, uh, the character transformation from when he's born to the development of the chimpanzees and apes and, and gorillas and their intelligence to, to what he becomes at the end of the trilogy, a hero, a savior, and leads a rebellion and leads them to safety by the end. It's, it's an incredible story. It really is. It's remarkable, and each film has is its own thing, and they're all fantastic, and Andy Serkis really makes the trilogy something special with his performance as Caesar. It's just an incredible set of three films, and I remember just going to each one, just being blown away by both the visual spectacle and the emotional resonance of the story each time, and it never felt like unnecessary. Like Everything felt earned, and everything felt true, and I really, really enjoy what Matt Reeves did with the last two films. Yeah, so it's Rise of the Planet of the Apes, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, and then War for the Planet of the Apes, and they are going to reboot into another trilogy very soon, most likely, they're making another one, a sequel that's going to set that take place in the future after the events of the last trilogy, even though there's already a trilogy and franchise of films before this. So this is just a crazy, huge franchise now. Makes money, man. Makes money. Makes money. And then we have Blade, the Blade trilogy Blade! starring Wesley Snipes, which now all the news with MCU's Blade, I don't think they'll ever be able to top what they did with Wesley Snipes in the first three films. The first one's my favorite for sure. And then it got a lot more, like you could say, fun and comical by the third time. Guillermo made one of them as well, Guillermo del Toro. But I think the first one is just one of my favorite vampire movies of all time. The second one's my favorite. I like the the approach to vampires and that and how terrifying those vampires were. The third one, it's fun. We liked it as kids, but it is quite campy and quite cheesy. And the first one I think was really terrific, especially like Blade has like the best opening for like any superhero ever <laughs> and that with a blood drenched club and he just walks out with the the huge military combat boots and his outfit and he's just like surrounded by vampires like what a great introduction to the character and i i hope they i hope they go bloody with the mcu one if not it's gonna be hard to top wesley snipes because wesley snipes i think defined the role in a lot of ways absolutely and i like the second one a lot too it's very similar to uh Guillermo's book the the strain the vampires and that kind of so it's really cool but love the first one they're all fun but I, I think it's just one of the best trilogies in terms of like a superhero comic book hero heck yeah we love Blade so much fun next up we, we only have two left yeah well we already talked about this one which one the Matrix trilogy was oh no not... skip that one. Oh, sorry yeah, we skipped it we already talked okay about Rush it. Hour we got Rush Hour uh, Chris Tucker Jackie Chan two icons of comedy and stunts these movies are so much fun uh, the first one was really big for us like we loved this movie, uh, Jackie Chan. We he, Jackie Chan was really like one of our favorite actors growing up. We saw all of his movies. He had this really incredible blend of comedy with stunt work that had not been done since the silent film era, and also throwing in the amazing amazing martial arts he has 
It's just it was just never seen anything like it before. And then pitting him opposite the fast talking, highly improvisational Chris Tucker was just a, a match made in heaven. And the way they play off each other, they turn this okay story into just so much fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the scripts are they're, they're pretty the scripts are wanting for like better, They are right? scripts. They're, they're, they are scripts. They're scripts, but the movies <laughs> sure are fun and entertaining. <laughs> they're a blast. I love them so much. And it's it's interesting like like Jackie, he he can do anything in terms of like he can do movies by himself, being a lead, but also he pairs so well with other actors like yeah. Owen Wilson with the Shanghai, Shanghai Night Noon series, Shanghai Noon. Those oh movies are Shanghai Noon, Shanghai, Shanghai Night. Shanghai Night, yeah, both of them. Yeah. Noon, oh yeah, 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 yeah. too. Yeah. I hope they make a trilogy out of that. Um, he's great with both of them, but like yeah. him and Chris Tucker, there's something about it. It's like spaghetti and meatballs, man. It's just it just <laughs> lamb tuna fish. Like you can watch them for hours and <laughs> yeah. hours. They're so entertaining together. The chemistry. What kind of fish is this? Gefilte the fish. What kind of fish? Gefilte the fish. So damn funny. I love Chris Tucker. One of my favorite comedians uh, for comedic actors in movies of all time. He's just hilarious. And and Jackie's an icon. He's a legend. He's he's one of the goats. And, and they make they play on the fish out of water idea so well. Yeah. With with this guy who just like with uh, Chris Tucker just making fun of him and purposely like not trying to understand what he's saying. Yeah. It's just played for what laughs Wildly so well. Wildly offensive movies. Yeah. Like when they play these on cable TV now, yeah. so they come with a disclaimer before they play. <laughs> so like this movie was made at a time where this humor flew and it's highly offensive. So oh, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. basically something like that. Yeah, yeah. Because man, it, they're offensive. <laughs> they're funny. I fucking love, I love Rush Hour, dude. It's so good. <laughs> All right, one more trilogy to talk oh, about. Man. Some more slapstick humor. So the Naked Gun trilogy we have. The Naked Gun from the Files of Police Squad. The Naked Gun, two and a half, The Smell of Fear. And Naked Gun, 33 and a, 33 and a third, The Final Insult. <laughs> these came they were up, making fun of franchises yeah, before it was cool. These came out before, between 1988 and 1994, directed by David Zucker for the first two, then P- Peter Seagal in the third. They're actually making a new one right now. Liam Neeson. Liam Neeson's going to yeah. be the lead. They're, it's going to be directed by Akiva Schaefer, Written by a bunch of screenwriters who I've never heard of, as well as, <laughs> as, well as, as, well as Seth MacFarlane. <laughs> a bunch. Who's, who's how many screenwriters are on this? How, how many does it take to write a movie? Uh, one, two, three, four, five screenwriters for the screenplay, and then one, two, three, four, five, five people for the story. Jeez Louise. And then two producers, Seth MacFarlane and Erica Huggins. Um, so it'll, I'm sure it'll be good because Seth MacFarlane's such a great comedic writer. So I think it'll be great. <laughs> we'll see. I mean, that's a that's a lot of cooks in the kitchen, man. But I mean, that's a lot of cooks. Leslie Nielsen as the lead in these movies. He makes them the master yeah. of slapstick humor, which was so popular in the '80s and in the '70s and '80s. You know, I I, I think it, when it's done well, it still holds up. I think that some of these movies do, but a lot of the humor's changed very yeah. much. But you know, comparable to like Jackie Chan, who really made made it more contemporary in the twenty yeah. in the twenty first century. But what what uh, Leslie did that what really makes it work is he played it all with a straight face. Everything is just played straight. You know, like he's not being goofy. Ridiculous things are happening, and he's acting like it's like so like just he's just straight face the whole time. You know what I mean? And that's what really sells it. He's not like. 
making crazy expressions, but he's just like super, stupid stuff is happening, and he's just like acting like it's normal. Or, it's like a nuanced yeah. bumbling idiot because we get yeah. too many bumbling idiots now where yeah. they're just like idiots, and it's not funny. But when Leslie did it, or these other great comedic actors did, or Steve Martin, or something like that, mm-hmm. it was like really well done where it played for laughs. Where the bumbling idiot was a very likable character, but yeah. now we get so many bumbling idiots that just, just are unlikable. By something they're not yeah. funny, and it's just it's not nuanced anymore. Yeah, but, but it used to work and but it, it really hinges on the strength of the performer and their comedic chops and he has it he like and he made the movies they, and i remember really enjoying watching these movies as kids like they were so funny i'm curious to see liam neeson as uh uh taking over this role of, of frank they gotta give him white hair they gotta do the white hair i, I think, think i do as like a callback like they should have him with white hair. I'm sure they will. Yeah. He's, he's had white hair before. Like he he had white hair in the um what's it called the uh the action franchise remake. Taken? No, the the remake of the TV series. Mr. Oh, T, A Team. The A Team. He had yeah. white hair. Yeah, like, you're right. blonde white hair for yeah. that. Yeah. Murdoch. Anyways, this is good. <laughs> that wraps our episode on. <laughs> oh yeah. The best That's, trilogies of all time. This awkward ending. <laughs> Murdoch. Uh, what, do, what, what do I do with my hands? Anyways. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, this is the podcast. Uh, thanks, for, thanks for listening, guys. I guess uh, we'll talk to you in, uh, in the future. Let us know on YouTube what your favorite movie trilogy is. Maybe rank your top three or top five on YouTube so we can check out in the comments. That'd be so fun to see what you think about our list compared to yours. Thanks for tuning in, everybody around the world. Two Raiders of the Lost Podcast. Become a patron at patreon.com slash... Raiders of the Lost Podcast. If you're in America, hope you had a great holiday this past week. And otherwise, take care. See you all next time. Take care. This episode of Raiders of the Lost Podcast was executive produced by our chosen one patrons. Luke Exelston, Tyler McFly, Darren Singleton, Anthony DeMeo, John A. Graz, Becca Keen, Cody Moen, Benjamin Cook, Calvin Cam. And Chandler Johnson, thank you so much for supporting our show. Raiders of the Lost Podcast is a Mirror Image production. Sound mixing done by Jacob Kosler. Opening music by Chase Jackson.